1834. And just to give you a little historic background, uh, David, when he fled Saul, went to the city of Gath, Goliath's hometown, with Goliath's sword. The scripture text does not say whether this was his own insanity or God sent him. <laughs> but why would you go to Goliath's hometown with Goliath's sword? They instantly recognized him. They instantly arrested him, put him in chains. They took him to uh, the Abimelech by the name of Akish. And David went up to, and he actually wrote Psalm 56 while in their custody. How much, ladies and gentlemen, take a lesson. Mark, take a lesson. How much firmness of mind had God given to David that while he's in the custody of the Gathites, he's in chains, they're threatening to execute him because he's killed their hero, and David is writing a psalm? Twice in that brief psalm, he says, I will not fear what can man do to me. I will not fear what can man do to me. And in the historic text, it tells us what happened. They brought him into the Abimelech. David went up to a doorframe and started scratching on the doorframe. And the dro slobber, he's slobbering drool out of his mouth. And the Aki says, what? Don't I have enough insane people around me? Get this guy out of town. Kick him out. Probably thinking allowing him to live in that condition was a worse punishment than if they had just killed him. They kicked him out. But in that psalm, he says, vows made to you are incumbent upon me. He took a vow, Lord, you get me out of this, and when I have the chance, I will present a thank offering to you at the tabernacle. I'll, I'll, have, I'll sponsor a big banquet. <laughs> we'll bring in an oxen or two, we will, and we have to eat everything within three days. But I will, I will give a public testimony of this deliverance. He's still in their custody when he writes that and says it. Several years later, when he's become king, he's no longer being chased around by Saul, he does that. And Psalm 34 is what he recited to the people at that thank offering. As it says in the superscription above verse 1, a psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. 
This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears, and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He guards all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous shall be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Our Lord may be seated. The Holy Spirit's letter to the Philippians, chapter 1. I just love the way in which the Holy Spirit shepherds uh, his people. Uh, Brandon, as he's already mentioned, will be again addressing the topic this coming Wednesday on the sovereignty of God. As we are reading Paul's letter to the Philippians, he is writing this letter from Rome. He's under house arrest. <laughs> he, has, he has been through a tumultuous, for several years, a tumultuous experience. And yet God absolutely, abundantly guided even, this, even the, the enemy constantly plays into God's hands. That's one of the things we can truly take heart from in the Scripture. You read from Genesis all the way through Revelation, and the enemy is always playing into God's hands. He actually sets things up for kingdom victory, totally to his own chagrin. 
But that's what happens. Last week, before we started this aspect of Philipp, this study of Philippians, we focused on Acts 6, Acts 16, which is how Paul and his companions got sent to Philippi, and how everything that played out in Philippi, the only thing that probably was the expected thing was the first thing, when he went out to the river, and here's this prayer meeting of Jewish women uh, praying at the riverside because they didn't have enough men in Philippi to establish a synagogue. And so the, and he, Paul knew that, and so he went out there and he found, and he explained the gospel, and they all readily jumped into the kingdom. It's called Holy Spirit Preparation. Holy Spirit preparation. And then Paul is going through the city of Philippi preaching the gospel, and this demon-possessed girl follows him, and in, in the incitement of a demon is crying out, listen to this fellow, listen to this fellow. Of course, this is done in mockery. He has the message from God, the message from God. Finally, about the third day, Paul turns around and casts the demon out of her, which really upset her owner. She is a slave. Because now this way in which he made money by people coming to her to find out what the demons had to say about their life situation. (laughs) And there's a big riot. The magistrates just do what the rioters say and have Paul and Silas beaten, thrown into the jail. But what do we find out? It's pretty clear from the passage that Jesus had packed the jail with people (laughs) whom he had set, who were ready to hear the gospel. What? And so Paul and Silas are in the middle of the jail, their feet in stocks, they're in chains, they're locked in the middle of the jail, and that was specified by the magistrates of the jailer, really put this guy deep in, we don't want him escaping. And Paul and Silas in the middle of the night are singing out hymns of praise and glory to God. Do you think those other people in the jail are hearing this and shocked? I can promise you they were because there was suddenly an earthquake and the chains fell off of of Paul and Silas and probably the other prisoners. The stocks fell off their feet all the jail doors fly open, and it is such a shocking thing to the jailer. He doesn't. He just sees the doors are open. He's going to fall on his sword. He's going to kill himself. And Paul says, no, no, no. Everybody is still here. What a miraculous event. All these men that had the opportunity to flee jail remained. That's a God event. And can we, I don't think it's too big a jump to think that those men had been swept into the kingdom. And so it was with the jailer and his family. He took Paul and Silas home. He tended to their wounds. He gave them a good meal. And then the magistrates came in the morning and said, okay, you can let those fellows out. Uh, kick them out of town. But, and Paul says, no, 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 no. We are Romans. They violated our legal rights. They are themselves, these magistrates, going to come and they're going to apologize. (laughs) And we will leave when we choose to. And so the magistrates came 
They have broken the law. Not Paul and Silas. They broke the law. And they let Paul and Silas go. And Paul and Silas went to the home of Lydia and met with all the believers in town and had their wounds taken care of. And then they left. Well, why do we point that out? Because here Paul, as he's writing this letter, he's under house, several years later, he's under house arrest in Rome. And if you read in the book of Acts, he and his companions have gone through jail time in in the Middle East. They've They've been through all of this stuff. They've been through storms in the Mediterranean. They've been through all of this stuff. And Paul is love. Love, faith, and hope. Last Friday night, this is another aspect. We had what what Brandon said. We had what Tom prompted us to. Hey, how about 1 Corinthians 13? Let's look at that. Faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. What do we see exhibited in Paul's letter to the Philippians? Faith, hope, which is a positive expectation on what's going to come about. And love. That's what we see actually laid out in a context here in this letter. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What is Satan's plot in getting Paul jailed in the Middle East over and over and then brought to Rome, put under his plan is to keep the lid down on the gospel message and instead everything he's done has actually incited its its explosion. But I want you to know, brethren, the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard, the praetorian guard, and to all the rest. Rest of what? The rest of their their acquaintances, their families. These are the, the praetorian guard, the palace guard, are the sons of the wealthy and influential in the city of Rome. And they have been sent to take turns being chained to the apostle Paul while he's under house arrest for at least two years. They're taking turns. Well, what do you think he's filling their ears with? The gospel. These are the least accessible people in the whole Roman Empire. They all live in gated communities. <laughs> they live deliberately in remote settings and away from the standard public, and they are the sons of these wealthy, privileged, are being sent to be chained to this guy. How good is God at his task of getting the gospel out? There is no wall that can stand against him. There is no gate that can be kept shut. I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest. The rest of what? They're... Their cultural, the people they're associated with, the families, that culture. That my chains are in Christ. I haven't actually, they already know the reality. 
By the way, what's going to happen? Paul is going to be finally, after two to three years, finally the emperor is going to say, you know, we're letting this guy go. Why? Because the charges never came across the Mediterranean. Paul had appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen. He's, un, he's in jail in the Middle East. A new governor has been appointed. The Jewish leadership, Paul is not in Jerusalem. They got him out of Jerusalem to save him from the Jewish leadership. And the Jewish leadership communicates with this new governor saying, hey, hey, uh, why don't you send him, instead of us coming there so you can have your trial of Paul, send him to Jerusalem and do your trial here. And, oh, well, yes, I think I will grant the request of these fellows that are at the upper echelon of the Jewish culture. I do want to gain their favor. And uh, Paul's nephew finds out about it and comes to, we didn't until this event, we don't even know this kid exists. I say kid. He comes, they actually have a hit squad on the road waiting to murder you. Murder. What does it say in the Ten Commandments? You shall not murder. The Jewish religious leadership has a hit squad along the road. Their plan is to murder you before you ever get to Jerusalem. And that's when Paul said to the Roman governor, I am appealing to Caesar. And in the Roman law, if any Roman citizen said, I want my case to be presented to the emperor himself, they had that legal right. It had to be permitted. And so at Roman expense, Paul gets put on a boat, on a ship, and gets a trip to Rome, which was a heavily eventful trip as well. But now Paul is under house arrest in Rome, and yet wherever he's gone, he's been isolated, and yet gospel explosion anyways. Mainly to the people least accessible otherwise. My chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord here in Rome, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. What Satan would have set in place in order to intimidate these people has had the opposite effect. They're more bold. Why? Because though I am under house arrest, though I have, have these, I am not intimidated. I'm rejoicing with, you know, uh, if Paul can have that much trust in God's governing of his life experience, maybe I can too. Maybe I can follow his example in boldness. They have become more confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word of God without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. You know, we look around at the Christian culture at the church culture, I'll say, in the United States. We have a lot of absolute outrageous nonsense evident in the church in the United States. It's right in front of our faces. It's so obvious. Just this morning, my wife pointed out this thing of uh, this false teacher over in the Houston area whose wife, who's now divorced her husband, uh, but she's up there in front of the congregation saying, give us money, give us money, give us money, give us money. If you give us money, God will favor you with money. Uh, can you give me book, chapter, and verse on that? No. There were people who were 
wrongly incited in the first century church too. There were false teachers. There were, falsely, there were wrongfully motivated people then too. There always has been. Every generation has its versions of Judas Iscariot. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. They're actually trying to worsen my situation. But the latter, out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. We can speak out the gospel. Will that create a change, perhaps, and maybe make the enemy more insightful in harming Paul? Yes, but can Paul, by the help of God's Holy Spirit, handle that? Yes! We will speak out the gospel with more boldness than we have ever had before. The intimidation that had been on the Roman church has been lifted. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? What's my conclusion from this? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Just earlier in this Sunday school class, at the very close, mentioned that we're talking about the apostles and the fellow uh, Matthias that replaced Judas Iscariot. And I made the point, you know, a couple years before, two or three years before this, Jesus sent the apostles out two by two, including Judas Iscariot. Now, the Holy Spirit was accompanying them. He was not indwelling them. And they all came back to Jesus, absolutely shocked at the, what God had done through them. They had healed the sick. They had cleansed lepers. They had done these miracles. They were shocked. And one of those 12 was Judas Iscariot. And there's nothing in the text that said, well, except this guy Judas. He didn't. No. The Holy Spirit who was accompanying. Judas was speaking out gospel truth as well as the others. There were these accompanying signs. There were these miracles. There were people... Can you imagine later on, four or five years later, and you, uh, yeah, I was one of those guys that responded to the gospel because of the, that message coming out of the mouth of, mouth of Judas. <laughs> you know, God is the Lord of the message, not the messenger. And here we are. Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and will rejoice. Our God is the sovereign God. The sovereign God. He is Lord of all. Even He even gives, it says in the scripture, He holds the breath of His enemies in His hand. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. 
And we know from Christian history it did. He eventually got released by the emperor. I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. Okay, 1 Corinthians 13, Friday night. Faith, hope, love. I, my expectation about my future experience is in God. I have faith in God's governing my future. That's hope. Faith is about, in 1 Corinthians 13, is about the present issue. Hope is about future expectation. But God is the Lord of all. My faith, my trust is in Him to govern my present as, and my future. I don't care what the enemy comes up with to throw at us. He, our Lord is Lord. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, in my earthly walk, wherever I go. Christ will be magnified in my body, my earthly walk, whether by life or by death. Whether I, you know what? If I get beheaded, I'm okay. Whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. He is the very definition of, of what my earthly walk should be, and I can say to you in my, as I'm writing this letter, is Christ is the definition of who I am and what I am doing, how I am, I am in this environment. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Am I frightened of death? No, I'm looking forward to that, in fact. Because it's the kicked open door into the very unrestrained presence of God. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean, mean fruit from my labor. Okay, I have a promise from God. He's not going to waste my time. I will be fruitful. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. You know, I'm really pulled back and forth. Continuing on in this life experience of, yes, great fruitfulness, great bounty, but also it's, it's, it's pain is pain is pain. Or by death. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be, which, which I shall choose, I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith. I'm going, to, and by the way, we know from Christian history, he, 
he, he is in under house arrest at the close of the book of Acts. He is, that's his condition as he's writing this letter. We know from Christian history, he did get released by the emperor when the emperor, well, the charges have never followed him across the Mediterranean, so I think I'll just let this guy go. I'm tired of waiting. So they released Paul, and he was released for like at least two or three years. He had written to the Romans in his letter to the Romans before I ever got there. He said, my goal is to visit you while on my way to Spain. <laughs> on my way to Spain, I'll stop and visit with you folks. Well, when Paul was released, Christian history suggests that he actually made his way to Spain. He did ministry in Spain. And about three or four years later, he got re-arrested because of his refusal to worship Nero, the emperor. He didn't get put under house arrest. He got thrown in a dungeon. And he writes First and Second Timothy while in the dungeon. And he, was, he, he says in his letter, I expect to be soon in the embrace of my Savior. And being confident of this, that I will remain in the flesh, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. And you're going to have joy when I come to you. I'm going to have joy when I come to you. We're going to be rejoicing together. That day of a reunion with you is coming. That's the confidence that the Lord Jesus Christ has given me. And then he takes what he said about himself and about the church at Rome. And he says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. The conduct of the Roman church has, has gotten better. It has gotten better. And my conduct, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit. You are united together with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, to get the gospel message out into your... That is job one. That is job one of each congregation, is to get the gospel message out into the community. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so whether I come and see... And see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith, that body of truth, what we call the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries. The very thing that the Roman rulers wanted to do, they wanted to have a terrified populace. Just by way of example, crucifixion. Now, the Romans didn't invent crucifixion. They actually got it from the Carthaginians who had actually fled from the Middle East. They're, the Carthaginians were actually a colony of Phoenicians <laughs> that had come across. And, but the earliest example we have of crucifixion is from about the 500s B.C. done by Persians. But why, was why did the uh, Carthaginians and later the Romans do this thing about crucifixion. It was designed to absolutely terrify anybody that would even think about rising in rebellion against them. Whether you're a, 
an outright rank criminal like the two men to, who were crucified beside Jesus, or you're considered to be a rebel, as in the case of Jesus, well, he does claim to be the king of the Jews. Well, he does, and, if, and Pilate, if you don't crucify him, you're no friend of Caesar. Jesus was put on the cross because he was considered to be a rebel against the Roman ruler. And that was the reason why the Romans used that practice was designed to terrify anybody that even considered any form of rebellion. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, their own coming destruction. When you aren't intimidated by their threats, it takes their biggest weapon away from them. It takes their, and again, I keep citing this, but that, that Roman centurion at the foot of the cross, he saw this fellow Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This man had witnessed a lot of crucifixions. He had been the crucifier of a lot of people. I can promise you, he had never heard those words from anyone whom he had crucified. And what is his final testimony? Truly, this was the Son of God. The very thing that Satan designed to squash the gospel caused a gospel explosion. And by the way, at the very moment Jesus cried out, it is finished, it's paid in full, the veil in the temple was torn in two. You have an unrestrained welcome with God based on the work of his son. Don't be terrified by your adversaries. God actually uses their threats, and they are surprised when you aren't intimidated by their acts of intimidation. not terrified, in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, deliverance, and that from God. And that from, and it's a God deliverance. And why was it that the, what was the, the single factor that we can point to, not the only factor, but the most powerful factor that caused the gospel explosion in the Roman Greek world was these martyrs, the Greek word for witness is martyros, who were burned at the stake, thrown to the lions, crucified before the Romans in the Colosseum, and that kind of stuff was happening all over the Roman world. And what, was, what were these martyrs doing? They were dying with a gladness. And the, the observers... The people in the crowd are like, what in the world do they know that I don't know that gives them the freedom to be glad at their own death? Especially such a torturous death. 
hey, I know somebody that claims to be, I, I'm going to ask him the, what, the, what this message is. What do these people know? What does he know? Not in any way terrified by your, by your adversaries, which is to them proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted, gifted. This is a gift. Your persecution has been gifted to you. It has been granted to you. To you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, and that was a gift, both the incitement to come to the cross, the gift you got from Jesus' cross work, your redemption, but also he's gifted you with this opportunity to stand for him in a hostile environment and take the same treatment he got. What were Jesus' final words from the cross? Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. When we leave our present domicile, this body, we are welcomed into his embrace. We will step into outrageous, immeasurable kingdom glory. I'll take that. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. That is granted to you. Why? Because it enhances your coming kingdom glory. Having the same conflict which you saw in me when I was in Philippi, and now here is in me as I am here in Rome. We have a kingdom coming. We're when when an authentic believer, when their spirit departs from their body, we step into the embrace of Christ. And it is a kingdom glory experience. We can't, the best thing that earth has. You know, the day is coming, we're going to be sitting around together, fellowshipping in the kingdom. And, let's see, what was that guy's name? I know I've used this illish. What was that guy's name? The guy that had that mansion out there on the, on the island there in uh, near Seattle. Uh, da, 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 uh, 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 oh, oh, yeah, that guy, Bill Gates. Oh, that poor guy. Living in a shack like that. Uh, and now he's, in the, now, he's, now he's in the lake of fire. Uh, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks. I'll take God's palace. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this is what, by God's mercy and grace, we didn't any, do anything to earn it. He brought us into his kingdom. It was mercy, 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 active, activated both before and after our welcome into his embrace, and he has outrageous glory awaiting us. And that day is coming when we will be sitting around having fun together at the banquet table in the kingdom and Frankly, folks, we're going to have to have resurrection incorruptible body to be, to be able to stand the blessing. <laughs> that's, how, that's what God has set up for us. That's, that day is coming. Paul was walking in that understanding as he wrote this letter. It's what strengthened his spirit to be able to be a Jesus imitator. Faith, 
His trust was on his daily, my daily experience. I'm walking by faith. I'm walking by faith. I also have an expectation, a hope. And oh, by the way, the, the trait that most marks me, 1 Corinthians 13, love. Love. I am actually serving my persecutors. That's a Jesus reality. Our Lord, we are asking that by the enabling power and presence of God the Holy Spirit, that third person of the Trinity, we will be able to be imitators of Christ as Paul was an imitator of Christ. And that you might actually use us in this hostile environment to bring glory and praise to you and that you would shepherd other people into your embrace using us as your instruments. Lord, that is a grace to us when you enable us to do that and privilege us with that. We are asking that this week you will give us an expectation that when we walk through the neighborhood or when we walk into the store or go back out to the parking lot with our stuff or whatever, Lord, we are asking that you will create witnessing experiences for us, that you will kick the door open, that we will be enabled to share gospel truth with someone that will be used by your Holy Spirit, the whole thing incited and governed by the Holy Spirit to, as part of the process by which you shepherd that person into your kingdom. We are asking that you would privilege us in that way and give us an expectation that every time we go to the store, that we go out into the community, we will be praying for a gospel opportunity. We ask this of you, good shepherd. And all God's people said, amen. Number 661 in the...